Watch this. video are true. They come from John 16:33 in the NIV, which Jesus tells us, in this world you will have trouble. And because of that, we will have pain. As we saw in the video, Joe, married for 22 years, loves to take his wife on walks, but he's been diagnosed with cancer. Meredith and Brian, whose second child is healthy, lost their first child to sudden infant death syndrome two years earlier. Haley and Andrew, brother and sister, just loved to play in the park, but they were abandoned by their dad. And Keith, who has a beautiful wife, six great kids, has been partially paralyzed and in a wheelchair for 20 years. In fact, examining my own prayers this week, I discovered that two out of three people that I pray for are themselves dealing with some kind of pain. So as John 16:33 tells us, in this world you will have trouble. Now trouble, the word in various versions of the Bible, is translated as tribulation, trials, sorrow, afflictions, suffering. And all of those things point to the fact that in life there will be pain. And truthfully, this could be my least favorite verse in all of the Bible. Although we want nothing more in life than for our troubles to lessen, to go away, and to disappear. We know that there is no magic place in which we can hide. There's no magic pill we can take that will keep us from pain in life. And so when something painful in life strikes us, something most of us don't know, or we certainly don't think about right then, is the fact that God uses pain in our lives for good in our lives. And God uses pain to fulfill His purpose in our lives. Please hear me. God doesn't send pain into our lives in order to fulfill his purposes in our lives. God doesn't purposely plan for us to have pain in our lives and design things so that we'll be in pain. But what God does is this. He takes the pain that's in our lives, which could ultimately be bad, and instead of just leaving it there, he ultimately picks it up and uses it and even transforms it. But here's the thing. Here's the whole ball of wax, the whole enchilada, the whole truth. The salient point is this. In order for God to pick up and use your pain and transform it, you have to relate to God in the midst of your pain for that to happen. But sadly, most of us, we don't do this. Many of us do not profit from our pain or our problems. We don't harvest anything at all from our hurts. 
or advance in any way from our adversity or learn anything at all from our losses or improve in any way from our injuries. And so thus there is no gain in the pain that we go through in life. In fact, Galatians 3, 4 in the contemporary English version says this. Have you gone through all of this for nothing? Is it really all for nothing? And so the tough question is, are you truly, truly any farther down the road toward where God would like you to be from how it is that you've dealt with pain in your life? Or have you simply suffered from the pain in your life and it's never really made any practical difference? Upon hearing this, maybe this morning you're thinking, yeah, I'm not sure I know how to grow or how to gain or how to develop from my pain. And truthfully, if that's you, few of us do. None of us are really good at it. And so let's take a look at what God wants you to do when you encounter pain in your life. As you encounter pain in your life, and we know we're all going to do that, use that pain to draw close to God. Whenever anything bad happens in your life, it's then that you have a choice. And the choice is this. Either you run to God or you run away from God. And although we don't consciously think this way, we do instinctively run in our thoughts to God when something tough happens. Our first thought is what? Oh, my God. And when there's a massive tragedy, people's initial reaction is, oh, my God, because instinctively we know to turn to God. Now, when my grandson Keaton horribly, horribly broke his leg in a bike accident a couple years ago, the very first thing he said to me while lying there in the street in terrible pain was, Pop, please pray to God for me. And I did. And sometimes, some people, including each of us, we have the opposite reaction to pain in our life. Instead, we turn in the opposite direction away from God. My beautiful wife, Patty, who's so maternal, so very caring, so loving, when she had several failed pregnancies, she was so hurt by the last one that she became angry with God, as many of us do, and for a period of time did not feel close to God at all. And she's certainly not alone in that. As Mike tragically shared right here just a couple weeks ago, when he was in the military, his job was a gunner to protect the eight other men in his squad. And during one particular mission, as his men started taking fire, he did his very best with his machine gun to protect them. And at the very same time, he prayed urgently, urgently for God to help him protect his men. Yet for some reason, all eight men, his friends whom served with him, all died right there, right then, all eight. He was the only one who wasn't wounded and made it out alive. And Mike, understandably, was very angry with God, so angry that he did what? He completely turned away from God and not wanting anything to do with God at all for a very, very long time, for many, many years in his life. So thus, when we encounter something very painful in our lives, what happens is either you run to God or you run away from God. So what does running to God look like in our lives when you first encounter pain? Well, first, in your shock, you cry out to God. Because when something painful comes into your life, you can't believe it. You're in shock. And so from that shock, you first cry out to God. And then you experience sorrow. And in your sorrow, you tell God exactly how you feel. And you don't sugarcoat it at all. You hold nothing at all back. And you tell God exactly how you're feeling. And typically anger may be part of what you're feeling. 
And so begins the struggle. And in your struggle, you will probably argue with God. You may wrestle with God. And you may hash over everything with God, especially the why question. Why, why, why? And then finally, after you've gone through all that over everything for the umpteenth time and surrender, ultimately you let go. And then you begin to trust God. And you begin to trust him with this new reality that's happening in your life. The Apostle Paul echoes this in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10 in the Living Bible. He says, we were really crushed and overwhelmed and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. For when we put everything in the hands of God, he did help us. Notice these words, but that was good. What Paul is saying here is we were crushed, we were overwhelmed, we were powerless, we were in over our heads, we were discouraged, we were ready to give up. But for some reason, that was good. And that's because all that Paul went through ultimately drew him closer to God rather than drawing him away from God. Also, later in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 in the Living Bible, he said, Now I am glad, not because it hurts you, but because the pain turns you to God. Yes, your pain can draw you closer to God. And secondly, as you encounter pain in your life, use that pain to draw you closer to others. Because listen to this, when you draw closer to God, and when you draw closer to others... You have the love in your life ultimately deepened. Your love for God, your love for others will grow deeper. And in that, you will do more to fulfill the two most important things and the greatest things you can do in your life. These things Jesus points us to when he was asked about the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, 37 through 34 in the NIV. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. You see, love is the ultimate purpose in our lives, to love more and to be more loving. And all of God's commands, laws, rules, they all hang just on these two things. That's how God uses your pain for good. Because suffering is going to either do one of two things in your life. Suffering can either sensitize you and deepen you, or suffering can desensitize and harden you. And thus, you're probably going to become angry and depressed. Now, remember Meredith and Brian, the couple we saw in the opening video, who had lost a child. And in marriage where a child is lost, one out of three of those usually end in divorce. Now, in those cases, when a child is lost, suffering doesn't draw the spouse's closer to each other it doesn't sensitize them it doesn't deepen them but rather it turns one or both of them away from the other and it hardens them a pastor rick warren and his wife Kay, as many of you may know lost their 27 year old son matthew through mental illness to suicide 18 months ago it caused them to give each other lots of grace and one of the things that they did was not to judge each other's feelings. Because when you're in pain, you know this, your feelings go up and down, they go sideways, they go all over the place. And how many times have you had an argument with your spouse about someone's feelings being unreasonable? That's you, don't give them the elbow right now. But Warren said this, giving each other grace in their feelings, it brought my wife Kay and I much, much closer together. And that caused me, he said, 
to look past the flaws and she to look past the flaws that we would see normally in each other. Instead, we just didn't see them. And in the same way, those flaws that pop up in your life which cause you great pain, with God and His grace by your side, they begin to diminish as well. Mercy Me has a song about this. It's called Flawless. Watch and listen to its words. No matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, still the truth is a cross has made, the cross has made you flawless, the cross has made you flawless. No matter the hurt or how deep the wound is, no matter people in that song's video being born with half an arm your child diagnosed with autism battling stage four cancer being born with down syndrome haunted by your past living in constant fear of failing health all those things could cause considerable pain in those people's lives as we heard in the song as we saw in the video and as god's showing us this morning our drawing closer to him and to his grace, and no doubt to others around us, in that those flaws and all the resulting pain they've caused begin to slowly fade. Again, as Jesus said in John 16:33, no doubt in this world you will have trouble. That's true. But look at what else he says. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In other words, Jesus says that I've overcome all trouble. I've overcome all tribulation. I've overcome all trials, all sorrow. I've overcome all afflictions, all suffering, all pain. And pain usually does what to us? Well, to put it bluntly, it rips our hearts out, doesn't it? That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, take heart. In other words, you may feel like your heart is being ripped out, but Jesus said, I'm going to restore it. I'm going to put it back again. I'm going to put it back together again as only I can. Now, Father John Powell, a professor at Loyola University in Chicago, writes about a former student in his theology class. It was some 12 years ago, and that was the day he said, I first met Tommy. He was combing his extremely long hair down the middle of his back, hanging two feet below his shoulders, something that was very unusual at our Jesuit Catholic University. And I know it isn't what's on your head that counts, but it's what's in your heart. But on that day, I was unprepared. My emotions, well, they just got the best of me. So I immediately filed Tommy under S for strange, very strange. 
And as it turned out, Tommy was to be the resident atheist. He constantly objected and smirked at and whined at any possibility of unconditional love from God, if there was even a God. And so we lived together with each other in relative peace for the semester, although I admit for me he was really a pain sometimes. And so when the class was just about over and he came and gave me the final exam for the course, he asked me in a very cynical tone, do you think I'll ever find God? So instantly, I decided for a little shock therapy. And I said, no, very emphatically. Why not, he responded. I thought that was your thing. And I let him get about five steps to the door, and then I called out, Tommy, I don't think you'll ever find God, but I'm absolutely certain God will find you. He shrugged a little, left my class. Later, I heard he graduated. I was grateful for that. And then the sad report came that Tommy had terminal cancer. But before I could reach out to him, he came to see me. When he walked in my office, his body was badly wasted. His long hair had fallen out as a result of chemotherapy, yet his eyes were bright. His voice was firm. And so I said, Tommy, I hear you're sick. He said, yeah, I'm pretty sick. I have cancer in both lungs. It's only a matter of weeks now. Can you talk about it, I asked. Sure, what you'd like to know, he said. What's it like to be 24 years old and dying? And his response kind of surprised me. Well, it could be worse. And I said, like how? Well, like being 50 and having no values or no ideals. Like being 50 and somehow thinking that booze and seducing women and making money were the real biggies in life. But what I really came to see you about, Tommy said, is something that you said to me that last day of class. I asked, if you thought I'd ever find God, and you said no, which kind of surprised me. But as I thought about that a lot, I never got anywhere with it. But I'll tell you what, when the doctors removed that lump from my groin, when they told me it was a malignant, then I really started getting serious about finding God. And when the malignancy spread to my lungs, I began banging against the doors of heaven, but God didn't come out. In fact, nothing happened. So one day I woke up, and instead of throwing a few more futile appeals over that high wall to a God that may or may not have been there, I decided I really didn't care about God. I really didn't care about an afterlife. But I was going to do something more profitable with my time. It's something that I remembered you said in the class. And that the essential sadness is to go through life without ever being loved. But you also said it would be almost equally sad to go through life and leave this world without ever telling those you love that you actually love them. So I began with the hardest one first, my dad. He was reading the newspaper when I approached him. Dad, what he asked, without even lowering the paper. Dad, I'd like to talk to you. Well, talk. It's really important. And the newspaper came down maybe three inches. What is it? Dad, I love you. I just wanted you to know that. And then Tommy smiled with obvious satisfaction like he felt something warm inside. And so he said the newspaper floundered down to the floor. And my dad did two things I could never, ever remember him doing before. He cried and he hugged me. And we talked all night, even though he had to go to work the next day. So it felt so good to be close to my father, to see his tears, to feel his hug, to hear him say that he loved me. 
course, it was much easier with mom and my little brother. Uh, we all cried too and hugged each other and started sharing things that we'd kept secret for so many years. I was only sorry about one thing, and that was that I had waited so long. Here I was just beginning to open up with all the people that I actually had been close to, and then one day I turned around, and there was God. He didn't come to me when I pleaded with him. I guess I was kind of like an animal trainer holding a hoop saying, come on, God, jump through, come on, right now. Apparently God does things in his own way and in his own time. But the most important thing that God did was being right there. He did find me. You're right. God found me even after I stopped looking for him. Well, that's, I said, Tommy, I think you're saying something much more important than you realize. To me, at least, what you're saying is that the surest way to find God is not just to make him your own private possession, not just to make him your own problem solver, not just to make him your own comforter in your time of need, but rather the surest way to find God is by opening up much more fully and more completely to deeper love in your life. Apostle John said, God is love. Anyone who lives in love is living with God, and God is living in them. So I asked Tommy, would you do a favor for me? He said, what is it? He said, well, you know, when I had you in class, you were a real pain. But then laughingly, I said, but you could really make it up to me right now if you would. Would you come to my theology class and tell them what you just told me? Because if I told them the same thing, it wouldn't have half the impact if they heard it from you. Well, Tommy said, I, I was ready for you, professor, but I don't know if I'm ready for your class. And so I said, Tommy, just think about it. If and when you're ready, give me a call. A few days later, Tommy called and said he was ready for the class. And he wanted to do that for God, and he wanted to do that for me. So we scheduled a date. However, he wasn't able to make it. He had another appointment that was far more important with God forever. But before he died, we did get to talk one last time. Professor, he said, I'm not going to make it to your class. So here's what's going to happen. You'll have to tell them for me. And Professor, will you tell the whole wide world for me? So in a very real sense, this is Tommy speaking to you right now from heaven. For you see, that is what God wants you to know. Whatever pain you experience in your life, allow it to draw you closer to God. Allow it to draw you closer to those around you. And in your doing that, let go of your surprise. Let go of your hurt. Let go of your anger. And granted, that probably won't happen all at once. But surrender them to God. 2 Corinthians 7.11 in the message says this. And now, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? All the ways in which this distress has goaded you closer to God. Now, what's a goad? Well, a goad is a sharp pointed stick for urging cattle to move. And I don't know about you, but having a pain that's like a sharp stick urging me to move anywhere doesn't sound wonderful to me. Yet with that said, having our distress and our pain move us closer to God results in this as we continue reading in 2 Corinthians 7.11. It says, as a result of moving closer to God, you're more alive, you're more concerned, you're more sensitive, you're more reverent, more human, you're more passionate, you're more responsible. Thus, looked at from any angle, you've come out of this with purity of heart. 
Now contrast that with the pain that rips your heart apart. And if you do that, it's ultimately wonderful that our hearts might be more alive. That our hearts might be more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate. That's the kind of heart we can only dream of having. So don't waste your pain in vain. It's insane. Instead, turn to God and turn to others. And through deeper love, be sustained. I want to close by becoming full circle from where we began with the song Lonely People. It was written by Dan Peake from the group America. And he wrote it in response to the Beatles song, Eleanor Rigby, which says, All the lonely people, where do they all belong? And they offered no answer. So Peake wrote this song, and it became a hit for his group America. But years later, Dan Peake became a Christian, and he recorded this song again on a solo album, changing the words in the chorus like this. Don't give up until you drink from the silver cup. the words on the screen from John 16:33. Jesus has overcome the world, meaning Jesus can overcome with you all the troubles and all the pain this world throws at you if you will grow closer to him and allow him to. Will you pray with me? Great God, we just thank you so much for your love for us. And thank you, Father, that when we come up against things in life that cause us great pain, that you just don't leave us alone. You don't leave us out there floundering to figure it out ourselves or just to suffer. But, Father, you call us to yourself. And in that, Father, you give us the opportunity to pour out our hearts to you, to wrestle with you about it. And as we do that, asking why, then ultimately, Father, you move us to a place of surrender. And we trust you with the new reality of whatever that pain has caused in our life. So, Father, we thank you so much for being there with us. Thank you so much for Jesus being with us and reaching out to us. May we take heart in that. May we be encouraged in that. And we thank you for what results from that. The great love you have for us that grows deeper and deeper. As we reach to you and we reach to those around us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.